What are we waiting for? What do you think of that pop anthem to come out of it? You've been watching the Fifty Shades movies I noticed on Letterboxd. We're recording, I assume. We are, yes. (laughs) I don't talk to you if if the big red light isn't on. You don't ask me questions. You don't ask me about movies I've been watching, certainly. No. that's content. said that I'd been watching a movie and we were not recording, you would just shake your head and frown. I would do the thing where I put a key over my lips and then lock it up and then throw away the key. Because you're not talking? Yeah, because I refuse to talk about the movies unless we're recording. Sure. Well, we'll get, we'll get into the movie talk. But, um, yes, did watch the Fifty Shades films as a, uh, well, I shouldn't say this. <laughs> <laughs> given our uh, clientele um but yeah I, as a social experiment sure yes um i did i watched all three two are pretty abjectly awful what? one of them is okay which one uh 50 shades darker is that the second one yes um, I feel like that one probably has the best handle on uh, the. Well, I can't. I can't <laughs> say this. My mom is <laughs> best handle on love. Uh, love. Yeah, let's go with love. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually agree with that as well. Um, but yeah. Do you think Christian and Anastasia Steele are in love? Do you think that's a true love? I do. I think, yes. And also, maybe it's more Fifty Shades free that this happens. But over time, the the real problem with the first one is that Anastasia Steele is like not a character. Oh, no. she is a, a woman. Completely doesn't get to be a fully fleshed character. In a <laughs> but movie? it's written by a woman. <laughs> is it um, written at all? <laughs> oh, um, very like cinema sins. Thank you. Thank you. I of I, you. I used to be a big back in the middle school, high school days. You loved the parts when uh, this is my friend told me. I was not a cinema sins consumer, but my friend recently told me that a running cinema sins joke was that when there was an attractive woman on screen, I was wondering if he you would, were gonna hold this against me. <laughs> he would say that it was a sin that the woman was not giving him a lap dance. Scene does not contain a lap dance. Yeah. Which I think is probably the coolest thing of all time. (laughs) But then as they grew, I think it's now any sort of scene with any sort of tension or attraction between two characters or just an attractive person. So they've they've grown. So you're following it still. No, I haven't watched a video in years, but even back then the the scene does not contain a lap dance and grew. Along with the length of the videos. So true. Speaking of things um, that are unnecessarily long, Chris? <laughs> I don't... Given the what we've been talking about thus far, I don't... <laughs> You're listening to High Floor, Low Ceiling. We're back from the theme song. Wow. And so, a little peep behind the curtain, Griffin. I'm hunched. Is that what you were going to say? 
You're talking no. about how punched I am today. <laughs> I want to talk about how backlit you are, certainly. Um, but we we have a bit of a unique recording structure. We record on an app called Clean Feed. That You're fully watching Overwatch right now, I will say. I'm also listening to you. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> My roommate is also silently walking through the room, which we appreciate. He's if gesturing if he's, he's allowed to make some chili or whatever. No, he's watering um, a plant. Wow, oh, he's overwatered him. the plant. It's it's leaking. It's draining. Wow. Luckily, he has put a plastic bag down to catch it. I've heard of Overwatch, but Overwater? That's the sequel. It's only two letters different. The sequel is, of course, Overwatch 2, one of the best games of all time. It is a good um, game. They do a good job with it. Oh, I said it was one of the best games of all time. And yeah, I but you're that. infamously a, a, a user of sarcasm as a literary hey. device. Speaking of the best games of all time, Infamous. That I I remember Infamous. That did seem yeah. fun. I think that was a good game. Famously, my lovely partner, uh, the first platinum trophy she ever received on PlayStation was Infamous Second Son, and she'll love that reference getting thrown in there. <laughs> You are okay. I am listening. I am listening. I I just I don't know. I don't know. Something needs. I don't know. There's an inside joke between (laughs) you and Evie about Infamous Second Son that I I, a game I I own, but have never opened. That's not an. That was just a story. That's not an inside joke. But the thing uh, in reference, I I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Okay. You're hitting 120 mile serves right past me. (laughs) I can't even move my racket. I think it was just that I looked to you for some kind of like confirmation that you were still alive and you were (laughs) staring blankly, clearly at a television screen. Would you like to talk about, Griffin, the Overwatch World Cup? It's a, well, it's a staple of uh, the competitive Overwatch scene. Canada's playing. Is it taking place at Staples Center? Right now. No, it takes place at Blizzard Campus, it's part of BlizzCon. Mm-hmm. Um, and Canada, Blindness. I just want to see, they're playing South Korea. It's a tough draw in the quarterfinal, but they're so close to taking a map. And I want to see if they can take a map. It's overtime here. We got false on the Sigma, just got slept by Fielders. Anaba <laughs> Canada is Canada, takes the map. What an underdog victory. So that's a moral victory for them. And now I'm, I'm locked in. Well, it makes you. perfect sense that you are distracted because... We're recording this much later than we It's been a hell of a day. Do you want to talk about it? Uh, work, and then I had to take the TTC to get to my home, but then once I was on the TTC, I realized I had forgotten my laptop charger at a uh, house that doesn't belong to me, so I had to go back. Wow, weird um, flex. I don't want to disclose where I was. I don't want to be <laughs> doxxed here. Sure. Uh, Griffin... Roommate I know we've been talking on all fours checking out the plant. By the way, <laughs> this is one of our worst episodes, and one of our best segments coming up. By the way, uh, we just to in case anyone is about to turn it off, we will be talking to Mitch Bannon in the second half of the show, yeah, and please. we already recorded that interview, and it is a great interview, if I do say so myself. It is. You put a lot of work into prepping that interview, Chris. You did a great job. Uh, Mitch is fantastic as always. I chime in from from Absolutely. time to time. So all three of us equally pulling our weight there. I think I have uh, shared this anecdote on the podcast before, but I was once uh, sarcastically lauded for a, quote, clutch chime in. <laughs> and it really has always stung me. <laughs> so, not not on this podcast. No, no, no. Oh, this okay. was by uh, 
dear friend Jake Greenhow. Shout out to Jake Greenhow. Um, Is Jake a, a, a listener? Do they deserve a shout out? No shot. <laughs> um, but Griffin, the, of course, the primary sport going on right now is the Overwatch World Cup. Well, but obviously. that's only because another sport has now concluded um, the World Series. Griffin, y- we might get confused in the next segment and say it ended last night, but it actually ended two nights ago, as we all right. know. Yes. And you're looking up who won? <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I've already forgotten that the World Series even happened. But what's your, you, I feel like you have beef with the World Series. I don't have beef with the World Series in general. I just think this one was not a close series. Uh, the Rangers rolled over the Diamondbacks, as we all predicted, and I wanted, I wanted the Rangers Phillies. I was all in on my Philadelphia Phillies, my beloved filthy Philadelphia Phillies, filthy with a PH, and... I, it was a huge letdown that it was the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, I just there I was, didn't think that there was literally like anything interesting about the World Series this year. You don't think there was anything interesting? Not there really. Were, Corey Seager's good. Uh, the Rangers won their first ever World Series. Congratulations to the terrible fans of the Texas Rangers, <laughs> who we all hate um, here in Toronto. A, an old rival. There was quite famously, I will say, Griffin, a game where the game was tied on a bottom of the ninth two-run home run and then won in a bottom of the 11th home run. Yeah, and was it all uphill from there? All downhill, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But no, game game three was good as well, um, where Max Scherzer got injured... You know, it was not a high-scoring game, but no. it was a, it was an exciting game certainly. Another Seager home run in that one. Um, but yeah, he won he won MVP. Good for him. <laughs> Good for him indeed. Happy for him. Um, I will say the Arizona Diamondbacks. Just to quickly touch on them because we talked about the last time we talked about baseball, I believe, was uh, maybe just enjoying that truck sound. Um, but probably. During the NLCS, I believe, and we said we we basically just fully wrote off the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I did. I will I will say I did. I, th- I was I like, did well, too. the Diamondbacks yeah. are done. Like, this is obviously the end. And it, it ironically, because they faced the Phillies in the NLCS, feels quite like the Phillies last year, where at every round I was like, well, they're done now. Yeah. But I feel like uh, maybe this is something to learn about baseball that. A team usually when a team gets hot, they don't only get hot for a series. They, <laughs> they, well, no, the, it like, lasts truly. a couple weeks. Yeah, like it's not like I think that in basketball, for example, like it's like oh, it's a good matchup, it's a good X Y Z. Like there's just a good, it's just good for one team, and they can sort of get hot at the right time and knock off a team in an upset. Whereas a team like the Diamondbacks, it's not about, oh, they got, like, players I feel like don't usually get hot for, like, three games. They usually get hot for, like, ten games. Right. And that's how long the playoffs are. True. Um, Baseball definitely has the most, like, sort of outlier-y playoffs. Hockey has some upset potential if you get a hot goalie or whatever, but, like, basketball is usually pretty reliable when it comes to playoffs. The best teams win playoff series most of yeah. the time in basketball. But baseball, who knows? Yeah. And it's not like these were a close series either. Like, they swept the Dodgers. Yeah. They swept the Brewers, who people, you know, kind of 
Yeah, people uh, like obviously the, the the season is fading into memory now, but that was a good <laughs> team. Um, but let's revisit the Arizona Diamondbacks because we talked about uh, a question I posed to you during the NLCS was, uh, will they make the playoffs next year? No. So you you still feel that way? I still feel that way. I think we will arguably never hear of the Arizona Diamondbacks ever <laughs> <Come> again. <laughs> I think they will not exist in the next five years. No, that's not true. But I think this is the last time anyone in recorded history will discuss the Arizona Diamondbacks. And it's us. That's the kind of great stuff that you get from this podcast. You just hate any other baseball team that's on the blue chip. No, it's just like, like, I don't know. Can you... They're like the Sacramento Kings. It's like can you when you try and think of like a stereotypical irrelevant franchise, like it's it's the Arizona Diamondbacks. Well, I think it's a little rude to compare the Arizona Diamondbacks to the Sacramento Kings. Or they're the, like they're like the the Carolina Panthers. Like they're just they're one of the most their franchises in all sports. The Arizona like, Diamondbacks okay, have won. There's nothing a... nothing remarkable about them in any way. They have won a World Series. Like, oh, yeah, they were this... the, the villains after 9-11. We can't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> we can't forget when they turned against the city of New York at two months after 9-11. Your beloved Yankees. Hey, they, it, it would have been good for the city. Um, <laughs> yeah, shout out to George Bush for throwing that pitch. You did an awesome job, man. And the rest of the stuff was Rangers cool, too. Thing. Yeah, I believe an extremely big Rangers fan. I believe he was such a big fan that he owned the team for a time. <laughs> <laughs> big fan. Got a standing ovation at game one. We could talk about that. Well, um, we support our president. Um, <laughs> the last true president. <laughs> <laughs> Low-key? Um, not at all. <laughs> Welcome back but to Griffin. politics talk. Yeah, I mean, hi high floor of the house of representatives low faith in the electoral college (laughs) and that's just classic comedy remember Um, we do have mitch bannon coming up guys yes he will (laughs) it's really good it's it's none of this nonsense no it's it's okay to fast forward go like 30 minutes like when you hear the audio get worse that's when it, the podcast gets good. Yeah, we did record that over Zoom because I never feel comfortable extending guests a clean feed invitation. It's too it's too inside baseball. Yeah, dirty feed. It's for we the should make dirty feed. Is that um, porn clean feed? Oh, come on, get your mind out of the gutter. What? Watching Fifty Shades. By the way, to answer <laughs> the question that you opened the show with... Um, I like that song, okay? Love Me Like You Too by Ellie Goulding. I really like that song. I think um, it's a good song. The, of course, Griffin, that song was in Fifty Shades of Grey, but as we all know, in Fifty Shades Darker, there was, of course, a little song called I Don't Want to Live Forever by Zane. Like You're watching Overwatch again, I'm not, but I'm going to continue. I just glanced up. <laughs> <laughs> by Zane and one Taylor Swift. I like. Do you remember I that song? Want you to live what? forever. <laughs> from the from the NBA <laughs> yes, Christmas I knew Day post lockout commercial, <laughs> where they've got all the current guys standing <laughs> yeah. next to the Hall of Famers. Is that the song yeah. you're talking about? <laughs> no, that's wrong with you. <laughs> 
I thought that was a good guess. You suck. <laughs> Underneath the I mean, sky so blue. Great one commercial. of the greatest of all time. They should remake that. Um, with today's technology. Yeah. You, you see uh, that Beatles music video where they basically did exactly that? It was a that was a weird vibe. I don't know if I liked that. It was a little off putting. Like I liked the idea, but the the implementation was the, I think the four you, shot was yes, and I think using video, like splicing in video, as opposed to just like sort of flashing images, maybe or like overlaid images, things like that. I think that would be much less disconcerting. Yeah, and you know, I don't think you really want to remind people that it's like. I know it's not like, it, it's a it's too much to say like oh it's AI John singing, but it is like. They 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 cleaned it up for sure. They cleaned it, they put him in a clean feed. <laughs> yeah, that's, for that's exactly darn sure. They put one person in a clean feed and then just played the cassette tape and it came out beautifully. Mm-hmm. Judge clean feed. Um, but speaking of a much more important musician, Griffin. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that that'll probably get us a big boost. People will love that you said that. Uh. Putting the Beatles fans on notice, but Griffin, of course, we attended together. Do you want to? We forgot to make any content. We just enjoyed each other's company without <laughs> turning it into content, which later I deeply regretted. I viewed as a huge missed <laughs> opportunity. But yes, we uh, we went out. We attended Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, the movie. I believe is the full title. Yes, that's a great I. I believe the title is simply Taylor Swift and either a colon or an M dash, not sure which, The Eras Tour. Mm, I see. No, the movie. There's no, there's no movie. It's not a movie, the movie situation. No. Um, it was a great time, had by all. I think you were mad at me because I made us go to the theater too early. Um, I was not mad at you. <laughs> you you refused to eat. I took you to I dinner. I did not refuse to eat. eat. I was unable to eat because I had hosted a Halloween party the night before and unfortunately did not feel up to eating the next day for whatever undisclosed reason. Too much candy? A little too much too much candy. <laughs> well, you know, we we brought our lovely partners because we did. they're both lovely. We, if we did it ourselves, we'd be at each other's throats. Exactly. Um, we need a buffer. Absolutely. Michael Buffer. And now here live uh, on the podcast, what do you think of my girlfriend, Sarah, who you met for the first time? Sarah seems lovely. That's good. I. She seems... If I were to guess, she seems long-suffering. <laughs> <laughs> you and her can start a support group. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of lovely partners, I just heard my lovely partner Evie laughing from the other room at uh, my comments, and it's nice to have someone who laughs at your jokes. Um, I remember that. Yeah, that'll one of fade. These days. Yeah. <laughs> what a cruel thing to say. <laughs> hey, "Cruel Summer," a famous song by Taylor Swift, and she did perform it. What a good um, start to the show. A great start to the show, Griffin. For those who aren't in the know, it's a filmed version of her famous concert um, that's sweeping the nation and the world by storm. Um, <laughs> yeah, that it is. <laughs> I feel swept. It was, what, about 
two hours and 40 minutes long. Not enough, if you ask me. It breezed by, frankly. I, it really didn't um, feel like I watched Killers of the Fire Moon in theaters, which I thought was amazing, but it's like I felt the length for sure. And this sure. one, obviously, almost an hour shorter, but still certainly did not feel like we were like I was not feeling the length at all. I was not like, OK, when's this over at any point? No. And you and you do. You are correct that like I could have thrown 10 more songs on there. Exactly. Personally. Like it's like 20 more songs. on there. Is she knowing the people, her audience being the entire world, how many people out there are being like, oh, I'm going if it's 240, but I'm not going if it's 315. Like, I feel like you're mm. going to get the exact same. Well, you know, I think she's going to, I mean, certainly from what we've seen, she has no problem. You mean the movie? Yeah. Because we've seen she has zero problem filling a stadium. No, no, I mean for the movie. Like, who is, who's going to be turned off by getting the whole concert instead of most of the concert? I think the three-hour mark is a little... Might, might dissuade people just psychologically. Maybe. Like, if it's like, oh, it's three hours long, then, like, that's a thing. Whereas if it's, you know, it's long, but it's not three hours long, then that seems more palatable. Right. Well, I mean, the, the movie was an incredible experience, my father asked me, he was like, so now do you feel like you like don't have to go to the show? I was like, no, now I want to go to the show more. There, so I'm kind of of two minds about this. Okay. Because on the one hand, as I mentioned in my Letterbox review, um, it's a very, it's a, a somewhat surreal experience because she's playing a stadium show. She, there are a billion people there. Yeah. Um, but she is obviously playing to a stadium. Like, she is playing as if, like... Right, she's playing a per- big. Yeah, she's playing it big. So, like, the person, you know, in the last row should see... Like, if she smiles, then she has to, like, really smile. Yeah. <laughs> and so, there, it's a bit of an off-putting vibe. Um, I love the film, to be clear. Right. But, it, it, you, but you find her off-putting. You hate her, specifically. Yeah. I just like hearing her. I don't like <laughs> seeing her. Taylor's, Taylor's should be heard and not seen. Yeah. Um, yeah, not nice to look at at all. And that goes for the people doing my uh, clothes as well. <laughs> <laughs> I heard Evie laugh at that yeah. one. <laughs> it's, great. it's a crazy sensation to have a laugh track. <laughs> On a podcast. We should get Evie set up with just a third mic just to laugh at your jokes. That'd be terrific. Um, but it, it it's a strange sensation because you are so close to her because you're watching the movie. And so, you know, it is as if you're in the front row or even closer. Yeah. And she is playing it to the rafters. And so there is a bit of a like, whoa, like you almost feel like you're too close at some points. Um, you wanted a, a TikTok live stream from the, the upper bowl. That's how you <laughs> prefer to experience the concert. That's not true. But then the flip side is, if I went to the show, like I would rather be able to see everything and see it up close than to, you know, be in the bowl or like, you know, further back. Yeah. And not be able to like, you know, because, you know, I've been to stadium shows before. Saw you 2 at the stadium, famously, at the Rogers Center. Mm. That was a terrific show. Um, obviously, there's a lot more going on than just her on the stage. But at the same time, it's nice to be able to see someone, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. the Rogers Center. I, I did my first ever concert there a few months ago. Saw the Jonas Brothers. 
Mm. Not a great... How's that? It was fine. Okay. We we got tickets from a friend for a discounted price. We weren't originally planning on going. We went mm-hmm. to the re, like the first reunion tour at the Scotiabank Arena a few years mm-hmm. ago, and that was much mm-hmm. better. I think Scotiabank is much better for concerts than the Rogers Center. Yes, a state. You know, let, let's talk about the idea of stadium shows in general, because like, I think yeah. there are too many. I think uh, as and this I is forget, sports, by the way, because it's stadiums. This is, and this is sports, but well, she's a freaking football player apparently nowadays. She's kind of the uh, head cheerleader for the Kansas City Chiefs, if you yeah. know what I mean. I don't um, think if you know what I mean was necessary there. There wasn't any set double well, meaning. No, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because she's, yeah, she's always at the games. And, yeah. She's cheering. Yeah. So you do know what I mean. Oh my God, can you imagine how viral it would be if she went out with their like cheer team and did like, a <laughs> she routine? With the flag. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, she what leads if, them out of the tunnel, like waving the flag. What if she was the 50, mascot? Fifty-three hundred pound. Oh my god! At the end of the season, the mascot takes if, off and his then head. She... And it's, <laughs> it's like, oh, she's not here today. And then it's like, Whoo. that would be that actually would... if if we were on the Kansas City Chiefs social team, you make like a whole like fake video about like, oh, she's been our mascot for like ten years. Like she's just oh, been doing no, because no, you you need you. I think, if I may be respectful... Well, no, um, yeah, it's a writing meeting, we're pitching. This is a team, yeah. Blue Sky, no bad ideas. Yeah. Uh, But I think the approach is more the uh, Eli Manning walk-on at Penn State Mm. type of video, where it's like, we gotta sneak Taylor in. And it's like, oh, she... (laughs) I think it it would be a horrific experience (laughs) to be in, like, a prosthetic, like, a face-disguising prosthetics, and then be in a mascot <laughs> suit. Yeah, I don't think you need both. Um, but some something along those lines of, like, her going under, more of an undercover boss vibe. Right. Because people love to see someone uh, sneaking around like that. Yeah. Kansas City Chiefs, contact us. Absolutely. Um, the set list. Do you think she would do the tomahawk chop? Just so curious. Hmm. Do I think she has done the tomahawk? I think. Ooh, this is an interesting <laughs> question. Has Taylor Swift ever done the tomahawk chop? I think no. I think it would make her uncomfortable. I think so too. I I wonder how she's going to interact with that when it inevitably comes out at a Kansas City Chiefs game. Yeah. When they're well, never mind. I can't talk about their relationship. Um. The set list, Griffin. For the concert. Yes. Yes. Obviously, there are 44 songs. Wow. Um, you know, of varying lengths. Yeah. Oh, oh yes, The Archer was cut out. Yeah, I don't know mm-hmm. that one, but people seem pissed. <laughs> well, any of them getting cut out is... I'm furious. Yeah. Did she also cut Out of the Woods, or did she just not play it? She did play it. So neither, I guess. Would it was. Be. Oh in no, no, the she didn't. Movie? No, no, no. You're right. You're right. You're right. She didn't do it. Thank you. No, it was not Why cut. Don't you it is not to the true. Taylor Swift <laughs> don't even joke about that. <laughs> um, the setless Griffin, very obviously, very hits focused. That makes sense. Yeah, it's a it's a greatest hits tour. I guess it is a greatest hits tour. It's weird, frankly. She didn't put out. I guess she has to wait. To do all the albums, right? Before, before she, she can, before she can put out a great like a box set, because mm. that will be like one of the biggest selling things of all time. Yeah, 
I'm waiting is for like the, the, the concert album. Where's the live performance concert album? She did release one. She released yeah. Cruel Summer from the Earth Tour as yes. part of the Cruel Summer single. Um, I'm sure that will come out. And then, But then, like, the greatest hit CD and the box set of all the albums will be, like, Mondo. Yeah. Uh, Mondo Insano, as some people say. Of course, famously Griffin. You know, we all have our eras. I believe Sarah is a self-titled... Uh, is her era of choice that, that was correct? just when she i mean she's been a fan through the whole thing mm. um but that was just when she started getting into it mm. from the beginning and so mm. that sort of holds a special place in her heart she was rocking a, a fearless tour uh t-shirt when we were there yes great tea um i'm fearless you're fearless you multiple times during the fearless set you leaned over and said that's the best Taylor Swift song. <laughs> well, I believe it was. <laughs> it's a bit of a runner. Two, it. I believe it happened three times, but two of them were fearless songs. It was "You Belong with Me," a crazy pick to be like, "That's the best." You one. can't watch that be performed live and then not song. immediately feel like, "Oh my god, that's the best song of all time!" Immediately, it's after. a great song. I will say, did she not seem a little embarrassed because she prefaces it with being like. We're going back to high school. I think well, that she needs to grow I think up that and saying embrace that is her like, eras. I think that saying that is a bit of embarrassment on her part. That like, oh, like these are yeah. the kinds of songs I was putting out at one point. But yeah, but she was a literal teenager. That's okay. You don't need to be embarrassed. It's an eras tour. Lean it. Yeah. Embrace your eras. Don't be ashamed of half of your eras if you're gonna do an eras tour. Don't sure, only do one song from Speak Now if you're gonna be embarrassed about it. And, don't, don't do call zero it Debut. Exactly. Um, but I think that there are songs that aren't hits, or you know, not hits to the same degree, that would she would be less embarrassed to sing. I think You Belong With Me specifically feels very from the perspective of a high school student. Whereas even like Too bad. Like even even fifteen, which is literally about Why? like I'm going to high school, I think would have some potency coming from someone who's so far removed from that now yeah um that's a shame but at any rate she's got a plan did you ever settle griffin on your favorite um i want to talk about a few favorites do you have a favorite costume um i mean i think i'll I'll try and pull up a gallery here the lover costume is a good strong one to open the show it sets a good vibe Yep, the um, uh, sparkly bodysuit. There's yeah. some sparkly boots as well. Yeah, I liked the boots. Uh, I didn't like the red costume, I remember that. I thought the shoes for the red costume were bad. Um, yes. It's sort of a... She, it, there's, it's a lot of like glitter, a lot of metallics, and oh, a lot it's of gotta uh, be sparkles. The fearless dress, the fearless yes, dress it's is sort of a, spectacular. Or not fearless, uh, speak now. Oh, interesting. The the big sort of ball gown, almost a wedding dress, but not white. The uh, she only plays mm-hmm. the one song, Enchanted. The yeah. Enchanted dress. Only That's en- what I was trying to say. Surely. Um. Oh, interesting. She has a few different dresses. Yeah, yeah. The Enchanted dress has been swapped in. Well, no, the show. yeah. Just that that she has like all these different, even within the same. Uh... We're just moments away from Mitch Bannon, guys. Hang on. <laughs> Hang in there. <laughs> We'll have some great baseball discussion coming your <laughs> all way. All right, all right, all right, all right. Um, 
I really liked The Lover. I did. I liked uh, at the start of the Evermore uh, era. She sings Willow, and it's a very witchy vibe. Yeah. Okay. I had to and ask she... Evie during that number. I had to ask her: Is there like a reason that she's doing this weird? witchy thing or is she just doing it i was like is there like a lore background to this and Evie was like no this is just just a folklore background just the vibe well it was ever yeah well it's the vibe of the album but you know those are companions. but like i don't know i thought i thought that was a weird choice the whole like you thought that she was leaning into that. paganism and a that little bit you. <laughs> I, I i wasn't sure what she was summoning during the evermore <laughs> section but uh i will say because you mentioned evie quickly i want to bring up you I believe asked Evie if she liked because Taylor Swift. You had told me on the podcast. I can go back That's, and I can find it. I would love for you to try, buddy. You I would love to see that. That you and Evie did a draft style after we did our bracket, yes. you and Evie did a draft of Taylor Swift songs and mm-hmm. she had some off the board picks in her top five and you were, and you said that was because it was like the album that she had listened to or something like that. No, that's not what I said. Pretty sure that's what you said. It is literally impossible that that's what I said. I think but I think maybe, possibly, potentially, if I'm being generous to you, I might have said that neither of us have listened to the the self-titled very much mm. debut. Um No, I think it was more to it than that. And she has some albums that she has listened to more. Because, you know, she has her favorites, as we all do. As we all do. But I think if you... If I were to ever imply that she has not heard all the Taylor Swift songs, that that would... That's a mistake on your part. Uh, we'll agree to disagree. I'll check the tape. I'll see what I can find. <laughs> I, would, I would love for you to check the tape. I wish you the best on that. Um, obviously, you know, as we talked about in our Taylor Swift bracket, you... Are partial to the fearless era I really and am. evie quite astutely pointed out because i believe the other time that you <laughs> leaned over and said this is the new best one it was betty from yes, folklore great song which is also a very uh, acoustic guitar sort of country folk inspired song and also for this version she added drums which made it sound even more like fearless yeah i love drums um, so evie astutely observed that you were just picking the one that sounded like a fearless song. Yeah, she she really skewered me on that one. She <laughs> she had me. Um, and then but, the fourth time I leaned over and did that was when she played August, which as oh, we sure. all know well, was crowned famously the best. Yes, episode. yes. But I was gonna. I was wondering if you found any new favorites from uh, that you may not have heard before. I don't think so. I, in fact, almost went the other way, where when she would start songs where I was like, oh, I didn't really like this one, even by the end, I was like, okay, well, when you see it being played live at the show, then, of course, you like it for those few minutes. Um, Mm, I knew... I don't think there was a single song that she played where I was like, I don't know this one. That's crazy, because I feel like I had to play... 50% 50% of the song. I know, but it's just like, I don't think I knew all the titles of every song she played, and maybe because they've all been on the Eras Tour set list, they've become more in the zeitgeist. Maybe. And it is more weighted towards the more recent albums. Yeah. Um, one thing I did sort of notice is I was like, oh, I think I like... I gotta re-listen to Red, because I think I like Red sure. more than I thought I did. I'm not yeah, saying I thought I, I disliked Red. I just I wasn't really super familiar with Red, and it was the first Taylor's version, so it came out a long time ago. 
Um, wasn't, but continue. What was the first one? Fearless. Of course. Well, you got to start with your best album. Um, continue. Uh, so I got to re-listen to to Red, and I still haven't listened to 1989 Taylor's version, although I've heard mixed reviews. I really don't understand the mixed reviews. Um, I will say. Interesting. I'm I'm very. I think. Well, I don't know. I don't want to speak for anyone. I don't want to say that anyone who has a dissenting opinion is wrong, but I think people, a big part of people's dislike of it or mixed review of it is that as it's like, it doesn't sound enough like the original one. And my sense when listening to it was like, yeah, they made it better. Like, Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I think from a production standpoint, it sounds much more full and rich. Um, but I won't get into won't get into the nitty gritty details. Surely we've gone on long enough that it's time for us to take a break. It really is. We're at thirty six minutes, and uh, perfect. We're gonna take a break, and when we come back, high floor, low ceiling, Hall of Famer Mitch Bannon joins the podcast. You guys, you made it through. I, we hope you enjoyed the Taylor Swift talk. Just maybe, as... maybe just throw a timestamp in the description. Yeah. <laughs> Um, would you see the Ares tour again? Just before we go, would you go to the movie? The movie. Would I? Would I go to the movie again? Hmm. I mean, yes. I think probably. I think if someone asked me, I would say yes, of course. Um, I don't. I I felt fulfilled by what I saw, um, and do not feel the urge like I must experience it again, because you know, I. It's also like. I'm sure it'll come out on Blu-ray at some point. Like, I will purchase it probably when it comes on a Blu-ray, and then I will be able to watch it whenever I want. Very true. All right, we'll be back <laughs> in just a moment with a professional sports journalist, which we also technically are, but on don't act like it. <laughs> you were laughing too hard. On high floor, low ceiling. Arr, I hate you. <laughs> Damn. Are, are you bringing us back or am I bringing <laughs> no, us back? No, you're the, you're the boss. All right. And away. we're back. And what a break it was. I relaxed. I recharged. I refreshed. We sound worse now, I assume. Maybe a little. Yeah. Um, but that's, hey, that's, sometimes that happens when you go on break. But w- good things that happen when you go on break is that an incredible guest enters the studio. <laughs> a high floor, low ceiling hall of famer. Uh, back after after a long hiatus. I was gonna say, I believe a lengthy layoff. <laughs> but that's okay. We really wanted him to come up with a lot of good things to say before he came back. So welcome back, Mitch Bannon. Mitch, it's so good to have you back. From Sports um, Illustrated, Blue Jays reporter. If you wanna sort of give that more, <laughs> I assume everyone who's listening now was still listening two years ago when this was <laughs> on the podcast, and they know him primarily from the podcast. Welcome, Mitch. All of all um, of the Twitter followers are. Uh, are from your guys' podcast, I think, directly. <laughs> I don't think that's true. We were discussing last week. You've had an incredible Twitter season. You well, are because of the podcast. The <laughs> resurgence. It's directly attributed. I went into the analytics. I asked Elon, hey, man, what's up? Can you explain where these followers are coming from? He's like, yeah, it's from this podcast directly. It's the HFLC bump. He's, um, a, he's a close friend of the show. So that's- Yeah, we love him. <laughs> Um, do we, Griffin, do you want to, I mean, the World Series did just end. It did. Um, Last we night, did. I 
Presumably, we talked about it in the previous segment. <laughs> well, maybe I had mentioned it in the previous segment. I met, somehow made it all five games without watching a single pitch of the World Series. Um, <laughs> How did you and everybody else? It, I yeah. think it was like the least viewed World Series in like 25 years by by what I was seeing online. And yeah, like, I cover baseball for a living, and I like only watched two of the games. So Tough. there was like a good game. I think like the last couple of games were really like kind yeah, of it kind of petered out. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to watch, but I, I was calling a York men's hockey game last night, and I got out, and once the subway got into like the open air part, I was like, finally, I can watch the ninth inning, and I turned it on, and the Rangers were like running out of their dugout with their arms up. I was like, oh my god. I just missed it. Uh, so but, there you go. Uh, congratulations to the Rangers. If the Blue Jays had only played the Rays, then they yeah. would be celebrating right now. You, you've got to think. The math um, checks out. <laughs> but of course... Ex- so I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. They, Mitch knows something we don't. Apparently, they definitely would have eaten the Rays. <laughs> um, but let's let's jump in here because obviously a season not unlike the previous season, um, and I think that's like the biggest sort of feeling from the off season. It feels like so far is that the messaging has just been that you know Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins the team as a whole are just kind of staying the course. You've got like, you know, they confirmed Atkins would return. Atkins confirmed Schneider would return. Shapiro said that there aren't going to be significant payroll changes. Obviously, you know, things like the starting pitching rotation seems mostly set, obviously with a big question mark, but Mitch, do you think that that's coming from a place of, the front office having confidence in the team and optimism in the team, or is it more sort of, you know, obviously they're not saying this, but is it the recognition of the team kind of is what it is. We're not going to go out and try and make big moves now with the team sort of mostly in place. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'd say it's probably a little bit of both. I probably, it's probably like, I do think they think this team can make the playoffs and win playoff games. Whether or not they think it's like a World Series caliber team, I'm not sure. I think they probably have convinced themselves it's a few tweaks away, and I don't like necessarily agree with that. But I do think like you look at the salary structure, you look at the veterans they have, you look at the core they have left a couple years with Bo and Vlad, and it is very much a this is your bed, lay in it situation. Like you've built this team, you've invested money into this team, you've signed the free agents to complement those guys. Now you got to see if they can win. Whether or not that happens is is kind of beyond them. Yeah, it is just sort of a thing where it's like, I don't know if the goal of this team coming in was run prevention, and they did that incredibly well this year. Like, so everyone hates this team. They hate this Toronto Blue Jays team, <laughs> which everyone. I get because they're they're vibeless and they're sad to watch. But it, it it was a year I think you could argue of many many outliers, negative outliers on the offensive side of the ball. Like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was in like the ninety fifth percentile of every like barrel rate and hard hit rate and expected batting average and expected slugging and all that, and he had like a pretty mediocre season by his standards. So, if you if you hope and pray for some of those to sort of regress to the mean, and maybe George Springer is over the hill now, but like, I just I can see the path to to winning the AL East in twenty twenty three, but they'll need some tweaks for sure. They're not a set team right now. I, I think four the four Orioles are a, are a bit oh, of a wagon. Right. I don't know if we're going to win the at least, but like 93 wins, sure. I'm with you there. 
Um, let's let's talk about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Since you mentioned him, Griffin, I, did. I feel, <laughs> and we credit you for <laughs> it. I feel like there is almost like this. I, I described it here in our patented Google Doc as a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. shaped hole in the offseason conversation that. Like, you know, the conversation obviously is surrounding free agents a lot. There was obviously a lot of talk about like management changes and things like that. But I feel like the biggest thing that nobody really like seems to want to outright say is Vladimir Guerrero wasn't that great this year, at least, you know, relative to what he showed in 2021. He wasn't particularly great in 2022. There is sort of this looming question now of, is he what he's shown the last couple of years? Is he what he showed he could be in 2021? And so I guess the biggest question I have, Mitch, is is there a future for the Blue Jays where Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is not the clear-cut best player in the lineup where they are a competitive team? And then if that's not the case, then how do they get him back to that point? Yeah, I think like it, it is super interesting and a reason... A reason I think it's not like the main discussion point of the offseason or a few reasons. One, because like the Alec Manoa drama and situation like sucks away from like looking at people's offseason workouts and like honing in on Vlad. But I also think it's because nobody knows like how to make him better. Like remember a couple of years ago when it's like Vladdy debuted and he had that one really good year and then everyone's like, oh, he's got to like get in shape. And then he like went to that offseason, lost a bunch of weight, came back. That was such like an easy narrative. For fans, for the media, even for the team to be like, this is one thing you can do to get better. I don't think that like narrative exists anymore. The team and like the media and the fans, I'm sure, spent all season trying to figure out what was wrong with him, trying to figure out why the expected stats that Griffin mentioned off the top aren't translating into real stats. Everyone was talking about pull rates and all that jazz, but like nobody and the hitting coaches, no fans could like point to one or two things to fix him. And to get him back to that MVP form. And I don't know if they figured it out in the offseason. Like, I don't know if anybody knows what to do. So I think it's like you hope and pray that he comes back and is better, but you got to accept that he might just be like a 20, 25% better than average hitter, not a 40% better than average hitter. And then you kind of need Bo to be your best hitter if that's the case. Well, yeah, that's sort of the thing, at least if you go on Twitter a lot in people's minds, Bo Bichette. <laughs> and you is- do. I do, and you don't, Chris, and that shows by the fact that you're like, no one's talking about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, <laughs> well, I meant more from a media standpoint yes, than yes. a, you know, I love the Blue Jays 26 standpoint. <laughs> hey, they matter. Um, they love the Blue Jays 26 times. Uh, Bo Bichette, I think, in many people's eyes, is now the most important player on this Blue Jays team and is certainly the people's champ. People are not happy with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't have access to his medical records, but just based on the eye test, I mean, obviously, he's always going to be a little bit of a a bigger boy, but he looks like he's in shape. Like he doesn't, it's not the same as it was back in 2020 or whatever it was. And you see those old clips and he does look different. So that narrative, as Mitch said, has come and gone. And it, it is just bizarre. It's, it's really, really weird. And you've listened to great reporters. The Blue Jays are blessed with a great. A stable of beat reporters and none of them really have a concrete answer like it's very strange and that's all i have to say on the matter really the exact same yeah. thing mitch said <laughs> that's Retweet. that's perfect <laughs> <laughs> but worse 
I believe it's repost now. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I want to go back to something that you mentioned, Mitch, because, yeah, you talked about the idea that, like, you know, as you said, this is your bed, lay in it. Um, it feels like 2024 is going to be a, a pretty important year for the Blue Jays, a bit of an inflection point because, you know, they sort of, uh, they sort of stayed the course this off season, or at least it seems like they will. They sort of punted these decisions that they have to make about Atkins. And then obviously above that, about Shapiro with them, you know, coming up pretty soon with expiring contracts. It feels like they didn't want to, <laughs> at least it feels to me that they didn't want to fire John Schneider after one full year as a manager. And so they kind of punted that decision for at least another year, I'd say. And so, you know, 2024, those decisions are probably going to come up again, you know, positively or negatively. And then probably you're going to have to make some kind of concrete decision about how you're going to handle the extensions for Guerrero and Bichette. So it, it is a pretty important year. I have a sort of weird, like, zoom out <laughs> question here because what it reminds me of is we saw the Toronto Maple Leafs. I was going to uh, say, this all sounds very Leafsian. During their most recent offseason, they put Bradshaw living in a very difficult situation where he was remaking the roster and also had to take over these contract negotiations. And so are they kind of <laughs> this is maybe too big of a question for you to adequately answer but are they sort of setting themselves up for that kind of situation where it might be that they have a new head of baseball ops coming in having to handle this like a very complex situation yeah i think it's it, they're definitely setting themselves up for that but the only way i think that happens is if like the team is mediocre next year they, there's the worst thing they can do is win like 89 to 91 games next year and lose in the first round of the playoffs. Cause then you're in the exact same spot. You've gone full Leafs at that point and you have to like decide one year left of Vlad and Bo, are we going to ride it out or are we going to trade them? If they miss the playoffs, if they win 82 games, like you're probably just entering in a reset and you're trading both of those guys, getting a haul of prospects. If you win 96 games or in division hunt, you win a playoff round or two you're probably committed to riding out. The worst thing they could do is be mediocre. And I think like you look at this roster, you look at what they've done the last two years and like they're, that's kind of what they do. They kind of win 91 to 92 games. And so unless they kind of start overperforming a little or underperforming the other direction, they're, they are kind of destined for that difficult offseason situation. I do think the one thing is hockey, like you bring in a new GM, He's got to negotiate with Matthews, Nylander, all those guys. And it's like very difficult because he has a cap to concern himself with. And he's got to like balance those personalities. Baseball, I think personality matters way less in contract negotiations because you can just like give a guy money and you, you can just like keep dumping money at him. So I think bringing in a new GM wouldn't impact those negotiations as much. Ultimately, those negotiations are ownership negotiations on how much are they willing to pay Vlad and Bo. It doesn't really matter who's putting that offer on the table. It's just whether or not the dollar sign is big enough. All right. Just speaking of dumping unlimited money, quick <laughs> diversion. Just give me a percentage number on Shohei Otani in a Blue Jays uniform. Mitchell. Oh, like, I'll give you 1%. I'll give All you right. There we go. <laughs> that's like, pretty go. fair. Okay, Chris, I, like, back to your very happen, but like, <laughs> Let's say the Dodgers go out and get like Cody Bellinger back and somebody else. And then like the Yankees trade for Juan Soto. And then it's like, 
We've heard about the secret unusual circumstance budget. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that report too. I don't know. Like, I think every business has that, like a contingency plan thing. I don't know if that's like the Shohei Otani budget for the Jays. I think it's just like, but there's also like Otani and I've talked to like people with the Jays about this actually. It's like the reason they would have a special budget is because he's such like his own beast from like a marketing perspective. Yeah. Like you would sell so much merch in Japan. You would like you would sell millions of dollars of TV rights in Japan. So it's not like we're willing to spend X amount more money. It's just like our it- revenue would jump so much with Otani on our roster that we can just like bump that budget up accordingly to sign him. Right. There you That's go. True See, you can't afford not to, it sounds like. <laughs> they would be fools not to. Uh that's a great segue, actually, Griffin, and I thank you thank for you. it. You're um, because I did want to talk about free agency. Obviously, the Blue Jays have some key holes in free agency. I guess the main question I had is because is that it seems like there's this general agreement that, oh, the free agent pool is pretty weak this year. There are only a couple of sort of marquee guys that you might want to go out and get. And yet, at the same time, there seems to be this understanding or assumption that well, you know, Matt Chapman's gone. Whit Merrifield is gone. You know, even like a Brandon Belt. And then like, I feel like Kevin Kiermeyer is sort of like feels more 50-50. But do you feel like that is coming out of the front office? Obviously, you know, we talked about the idea that they sort of implied that the payroll would be in the same area, which would probably preclude a Matt Chapman re-signing or something like that. But do you think that that is coming more from the front office, more from fan expectations? And do you think that there is a situation where they end up retaining, you know, one or more of those players? I do agree. Kiermaier is probably the most likely of all of those four. I would like be gobsmacked if Whit Merrifield is back in a Blue Jays uniform next year. Chapman, I think there's a chance just because like the third base fit is like so natural that like they need a third baseman. He's the best third baseman. I I think they'll consider it. Is she yeah, accepting Bell, a qualifying probably. offer? No, I I would be shocked. Boris guy, like yeah, true. Like Michael Conforto didn't accept a qualifying offer last <laughs> year. So like if he's not, then Matt Chapman's not either. But uh, yeah, I do think in the guy's not returning. It's like probably more on the front office side. I think Wit wants to go somewhere else, but I think that everybody else is probably the front office side just because. Like you look at the deals, specifically Belt and Kiermaier, they signed last year. There were like one year, $9 million deals. They got so much more like war value out of those guys than those equivalent contracts. And so now if you're to sign them this year, like probably like Belt would get 12 million, Kiermaier like closer to like 15 or 16 million, probably a multi-year deal. Like I think it's just you've lost some of that potential upside in those deals. And the way this team operates, this front office operates, is they're all about that like potential upside. So they don't want to bring a guy back just because he's a natural fit. I think they could talk themselves into another option next year's Kevin Kiermaier that they could get for eight or nine million, who they think could supply similar upside. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, to sort of talk about the idea of sort of plugging those holes, and obviously the cheapest way to plug those holes is players on rookie contracts and players that are already in the system. Um, Obviously we know that the Jays don't have the strongest prospect pool in the world, but we also know that you're, you're on the hunt. I saw you uh, 
scouting the fall league. <laughs> so you're all over that, we know. Um, I think one of the definitely the, the positive surprises that a lot of people had last year was how much those younger players contributed later in the season. Like you had games where it was like, oh, the infield is just Davis Schneider, Ernie Clement, like Spencer Horowitz. Hitting yeah, exactly. too. All of them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think obviously there are relative expectations to how sustainable that might be, but how big of a role do you see those guys having next year? Like, is there a world where, you know, Davis Schneider is the starting, I think probably second baseman, but third baseman, left fielder? Like, what's what what's the outlook on those guys? Yeah, I think Schneider like very clearly fills or can fill the Merrifield role where you just like play second base and left field versus lefties. You play sometimes versus righties. You can kind of do it all. Obviously, a very different mold. One of the guys hits for power. One of them is like the king of blooping singles over the shortstop. Two very different players. But I think like from a roster construction standpoint, that's an obvious fit. There's a case for Spencer Horwitz being like an obvious belt replacement. I do think like I don't know if you want to necessarily like put a high on base percentage, low power player like Horwitz in your first base DH role for a team that like desperately needs some run production and some power. Like, I think you'd probably rather go out and get someone who can hit 30 home runs for that spot, like a a Jorge Soler or someone like that and just like be a DH. But uh, Horwitz could be that. And I think it's more likely he's like the next man up in that position come opening day. Clement is really interesting because he like, looked really good this year like I didn't really have any expectations he was way better defensively than I thought he was going to be he hit 300 his AAA numbers are incredible I don't know what his status with like minor league options is but if he would have to pass through if he would have to pass through waivers on opening day next year I bet he wouldn't pass through like some team will give him a major league job so it'll be interesting to see how the Jays navigate that the other guys like Addison Barger and Arelvis Martinez and this other kid, the Canadian guy, Damiano Pelgimiani. Like, those guys all play third base. They're all in AAA. All of them have hit in the upper minors and really hit this year. You could put them in third base. I just would... I don't think this. that's like a World Series winning move. I don't think taking a risk on a rookie to be your everyday third baseman is a, is a move that's going to win you the World Series. I think you probably got to at least start with a veteran there. Yeah, imagine if a team started a rookie third baseman and then went on to win the world series <laughs> <laughs> good point good point well maybe a, a rookie of a you Marcus <laughs> yeah, then you can start your rookie third baseman. exactly different type of rookie um one more because you know i didn't mention this to you mitch but i i set up a deal with griffin that we weren't allowed to talk about we weren't allowed to talk about jose brios and we mm-hmm. weren't allowed to talk about Ross Atkins's job. <laughs> I think like, I kind of cheated on the second part, but uh, but those were you know things that I feel like have been talked about to death. But there's a third thing that's been talked about to death, uh, stemming back to the season. Obviously, you mentioned the Alec Manoa problem, question, controversy, debacle, however you want to categorize Saga. it. Saga, that's a good one too. Um, I think. You know, most people would probably say they have no idea how good he will be next year. Like that seems to, you know, come from the top down kind of. The Blue Jays certainly do not seem to be like penciling him in with any confidence to any kind of fixed spot in the rotation. 
you know, I saw articles from Ben Nicholson Smith where he was being used as a trade chip and, you know, to sort of fill out the the lineup and things like that. If they do, assuming they do retain him, obviously, you know, they have the Yusei Kikuchi hole that they're trying to fill. If they are trying to fill that spot, maybe put in a fifth starter, some Manoa insurance, do you think that they're looking more towards a swingman kind of opportunity or is is it really like enough of a question that they feel like no we need to go get a starter because we might really need a starter yeah uh, i do think like it's it's so difficult cuz if you go out in december and you sign like a full-fledged starting pitcher i don't there's like good guys on the market i don't know i can't name one off the top of my head but if you just go do that like imagine how that reads to alec like i understand that like you can't be like dancing around Alec Manoa for the next four years or however long he's going to be a blue Jay and like trying not to upset him. You have to do moves that you think make the team better. But like, if you go and sign a guy like that, you're probably saying to Manoa, like you're toast. And then like, it doesn't sound like he's officially requested a trade yet. I wouldn't be shocked if then he officially requested a trade and then you're forced to sell a guy at his like lowest possible value. So I think just from like a being prepared for him to be bad and being prepared for him to be good scenario, the swingman makes the most sense. I know the Jays love Alex Wood. They love how the Giants used him last year, and he seems like a perfect guy for me. I know the Giants like used an opener in front of him a bunch of times, but he was really, really good. Like he's kind of in that Ross Tripling mold. A guy like that makes a lot of sense. I've loved Drew Smiley for like the last three years because he always just like goes out and has a 4.6 ERA and is pretty good. Guy like that makes sense. Even on the upside, like a, a Michael Lorenzen is going to cost you a little bit more, but. He's really good and almost won a World Series this year. So there are options, and I think that swingman mold makes the most sense to target just to keep everyone happy and to keep all your options open. No, if you sign Shohei Otani, you get one <laughs> year to see how Alec Manoa is before Otani's ready to come that's back. That's a really good point. Wow. That's a they really sign good point. Wow. I mean, wow. I was on the fence before, but uh, <laughs> it just works out. Well, I think you said it best, Mitch. Prepared to be bad, prepared to be good is how uh, is probably the best way to approach this offseason for the Blue Jays and this podcast. Absolutely. Um, Mitch, obviously, people can read some of your excellent work over at Sports Illustrated. Where else can people uh, find what you're up to? You can find me on the, the platform formerly known as Twitter at Mitch Bannon. That's probably the best place to, to find Send this stuff. guy six to seven thousand more followers here. Absolutely, yeah, yeah all, all star caliber follow for too. sure. <laughs> we get the bump too. He's That's a great sounds- follow. A great fall, absolutely. Um, but I think that is going to do it for this episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling, uh, HFLC podcast on the platform formerly known as Twitter, Griffin Porter ninety seven on Twitter, Sea House and Jen on Twitter. And until next time, thank you to Mitch Banner for joining us. Please keep your floors high and your ceilings low.